because we all know as we are involved in these relationships that there are some sinful places in our heart that these relationships have a tendency to, to reveal, don't they? I've mentioned it to you before, but I'll tell you again, I never realized how much my world revolved around me until I got married and realized that I've been called to serve somebody else other than myself. I never realized how selfish I was with my time until I had kids who demand so much of that time. I have never been more challenged in my personal integrity than in the workplace when I'm around people who see me good, bad, and ugly, almost every single day for several hours of those days. And so uh, Paul takes that idea, and in our passage this morning, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart so that his presence makes a difference in your daily life. In fact, let's look at that together. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at Ephesians. I got kind of that on my brain. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. 18. Paul begins with that highest priority relationship, this side of heaven, uh, outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ, of course. That's the relationship between a husband and wife. And look at what he says beginning in verse 18. He says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. He does this to, to communicate the important truth of the woman's relationship within the context of that most important marriage relationship. And he wants to make sure that there is this reminder that, that apart from Christ, it is the woman's desire to rule over a man. We know that to be true because of what is said in, in Genesis. My Genesis is falling apart. I, I really need a Bible repair. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, as God says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and uh, in pain you shall bring forth children. And here it is. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. You see, God is, is a God of order, and He's designed things to function in a certain way. And yet, the desire of the woman, because of that consequence of sin, is to rule over the man, to be in control, because very often you think that that you could probably do a better job than they can. And here's the truth. Many times you're right. But God has designed all creation with with a certain order, the function to bring out the highest good. Just look in creation in general, okay? If you just think about creation in general, there are certain attributes of creation that are important in God's order that hold things together according to His design. And one of those, for example, is that the earth, if it were just 10% smaller or larger, could not be able to inhabit life. Just 10% smaller or larger couldn't inhabit life. Just think about the moon. Did you know we could not live without the moon? It's just the right size, just the right distance away from the earth to allow the tides to come and go, to aerate the ocean so that air could then become a part of our environment so that you and I can live. That's really important, isn't it? And God designed that order and that perfection in a certain way for our highest good. And if God is that concerned about the creation of the universe 
then how much more concerned is he about the creation of the marriage relationship between a man and a woman and what holds it together? And so just like in the universe, God has designed an, an order within the marriage relationship. And, and Paul explains it in a little more detail in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you would just flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look at what he says here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. God ordained the marriage relationship to have a certain order, and he instructs wives to uh, allow the, to, to be a, a helpmate, to allow their husbands to, to lead well, and not to take over that role. It's not an issue of value or, or a difference in, in ability. Because I've already said many times the woman can do things just as well and often better than the man can. It's not an issue of value of one being more important than the other. And the reason that I know that's true is because of what is exemplified in the example of the Trinity. We would all look at the Trinity, the Godhead of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we would say that within that Trinity there is complete equality, wouldn't we? None is definitely more valuable than the other, more important than the other. They are equal, aren't they? And yet we know from the words of Jesus when He was here on earth some of the things that He said about the relationship within the Godhead. Where He said that the words I speak, I don't speak on my own initiative. We know that when he was in the garden, what did he say? Not my will, Father, but yours. So within the context of the Trinity, we see complete and utter equality between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and yet there is submission within that relationship between the Son and the Father. So equality and submission can coexist as it does in the marriage relationship. God has determined that this is the best way to carry out the highest good. And we need to trust His plan. In, in that verse, in verse 24, it compares the wife to the church. It says, but as the church is submit, subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And so as he draws that correlation, let me just ask you a question. Wives, is the church valuable to God? Absolutely. So valuable that he sacrificed his life for the church. And so wives, you are equally as valuable. He also says to the church, wives, that you are like the church in in terms of the plan. So is the plan of the church important to God? It is. The, the, The plan is God's purpose in the world. The church is God's plan. And so in that same way, wives, you are equally as important in terms of the purpose and plan and how he works on the earth. And let me ask you, does the church function best independent from Christ or in dependence upon him? I think we would all agree that it functions best in dependence upon Christ. In the same way, wives 
find their greatest joy through their relationship with Christ as they follow His direction to help their husbands fulfill that role that He's been given. And it says, in the Lord. I believe what God is instructing through Paul is that that wives should trust in God's plan more than the abilities of their husband. (laughs) Because we're fallible. We we make mistakes. We need to allow our wives to, to trust in the Holy Spirit to equip us more than our wives feel the need to change us. But let the Holy Spirit do His work. As wives, you pray for us as husbands. And, and, and help us lead well as God has designed. And then Paul explains kind of what that should look like in the life of the husband. Look at verse 19 where he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered to them. Uh, here again, I think he confronts one of the realities that we have to face as husbands that we have to overcome because of that same curse of sin. And that issue is, it's our tendency to blame someone else for our problems. We go back to the garden to see that very same thing as well. I'll just read it to you in the interest of time. But we know that when God confronts Adam about what happened in the garden, he said in verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Of course, God knew this, but he was questioning the character of Adam. And listen to what Adam said. Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the tree, fruit of the tree, and I ate it. I think the first thing he says is, Actually, this is your fault, God. That was your idea. She gave it to me, and that's why we're in this mess. That's the tendency of the man to blame someone else for the problems that they should own for themselves. It's our tendency to turn the relationship with our wives into a contest where we get our value through our dominion. But Paul says, don't do that. Love your wife. Don't be harsh. This is a partnership, not a contest. Again, we look back at Ephesians chapter 5, and he gives us some more detail as well. Look, if you will, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 where he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Love your wife, husbands, as Christ loved the church. As I think about that, there are a number of attributes, but here's a few examples. I think of Christ's tender love. So as husbands, we too need to be slow to anger, quick to forgive. I think of His sacrificial love. And so as husbands, we need to consider the ultimate good of our wife as our highest priority, just as God does with us. I think of a servant love. Caring for the needs of our wife is more important than our own. Those are some of the attributes of how Christ loves the church. So should we love our wives. And men, we need to understand that this kind of love that is described in Scripture is not possible unless you are walking with Christ and loving your wife out of the overflow of what you are receiving from Him. 
In other words, Christ's peace must rule in your heart before there will be peace in your marriage. God's Word must guide your life before you can lead your wife. In the end, Paul describes this most important relationship between a man and a woman as that of mutual submission to Christ. And when we follow that direction, that is the secret to a lifelong fulfilling marriage relationship. Now, after the first of the year, we're going to spend several Sundays unpacking the marriage relationship as a part of a new series that will begin uh, in January. So I'm just scratching the surface here, but I wanted you to get a picture of what God has in mind as he talks about it in Colossians. Now, after having kind of touched on what he has intended in the marriage relationship, he then turns to one of the outcomes of a marriage relationship, and that is a family. And so if you will, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 where he says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The word for obedient in the original language was actually two words, and those were listen under. Listen under. Listen to what your parents say and live under their authority. If you look at Ephesians, when he speaks to this same topic, he reminds the reader that this is actually the first commandment with a promise. You know, there are the Ten Commandments, and one of those is honor your father and your mother. And then it goes on to give a promise, and it's the first time that that happens in the list of commandments. In Ephesians, I'll just tell you what it says, tells you what that promise is. It says, honor your father and your mother, mother, and here's the promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long On the earth. In other words, good things happen when you live within the boundaries of your parents' instruction. Now, let me give you another example from creation, as we were talking about that earlier. You probably know that there is really no other planet that we know of in the solar system or in the universe that has the abundance of water as planet Earth does, right? It's pretty magnificent and all that is accomplished through that. But we also know that that water has to have boundaries or there will be destruction, won't there? And we know that God set those boundaries. And the passage that comes to my mind is what God speaks to Job when he tells him these words. Listen, he says, or who enclosed the sea with the doors when bursting forth, it went out from the womb when I, God, made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. And I placed boundaries on it. And I set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. So even within God's creative design, He made boundaries. And those boundaries are for our protection. And for our greater good. We know when those boundaries are exceeded, we call that a natural disaster. And we've all seen the pictures of what it looks like when things exceed those boundaries in the wake of destruction that remains after that. Well, the same is true in the family relationship when those boundaries are exceeded by our children. And the temptation is to push those boundaries, isn't it? <laughs> Especially teenagers, right? When your parents all of a sudden get stupid and you think they don't know what they're talking about, so you begin to push those boundaries, But let me ask you a question. 
if you wanted to learn how to fly a plane, young people, would it be wise for you to just go out to the airport, find a small airplane, jump in, start that thing up, see what you could do to take that thing, you know, take off, get up in the air, and then do your best to land it? No, you would die. You would die. There would be, probably you couldn't get it started to begin with, but if you did, it would be your worst nightmare. All right? It would make much more sense, wouldn't it, if you went up with an instructor pilot. Somebody who had flown that plane before, who could sit there with you and at first take you up, where you just sit there and watch. And they could go through the motions so you understand what it takes to fly an airplane. And, and over time, as you are instructed, they're going to give you an opportunity to be a part of that process. They're going to still be there with you, but they're going to uh, allow you to do different parts of what it takes to fly that airplane. And then someday, they're going to be hands-off. They're going to sit there in case of an emergency, but they're going to say, hey, this baby's yours. It's all yours. Do what you can. Until ultimately, one day, that's your airplane. And you go up on your own, and you fly that thing because of what you've learned through that instructor pilot. Well, God has designed the family in a similar way. Your parents are like the instructor pilot. It would not be wise for you to go up in a plane without them. There is destruction You want them beside you to to teach you and to guide you, to give you boundaries to operate in so that you can be safe and productive and healthy. And here's what's so important to understand about God's words to children. I want you to listen to this. If you cannot live under the God-ordained authority of your family, then it is very likely that that same rebellious spirit will prevent you from submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that point. The family is the training ground teaching us how to ultimately put our trust in God. Now, your parents are going to make mistakes because they're fallible people. They, They make mistakes. But your heavenly Father is perfect. And that's in whom you need to Place your trust and know that your parents are doing the best they can to follow God's instruction to lead you well. But then Paul turns to the fathers and he has a word for them in the context of this family relationship. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. (laughs) This word exasperate means to to provoke or to arouse to anger. (laughs) And I have to confess uh, with some sadness that I've learned that the most effective way to arouse anger in your child is to be angry yourself. Works every time. They'll match your emotion. And fathers, he's telling us, don't do that. You're the one who needs to manage your emotions to keep things under control. Your, Your kid is learning. And so they will make mistakes. And so ultimately, our job is not to eliminate error. Because that's not possible. Ephesians tells us what our responsibility is. Chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's our job. You see, our ultimate goal is to help them make their faith their own. It's really not simply a matter of understanding what is right and wrong. Because I've seen a lot of kids who make a lot of bad choices, and they have a very clear understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Instead, as parents, we need to be helping them understand how to make wise decisions so they choose what is right as they make their faith 
their own. We need to give them room to fail and grace to learn so that they don't lose heart when they can't measure up to your expectations of perfection. Walk through life with them. You see, just like our wives can't make us good leaders as husbands, so too fathers, we can't force our kids to make good choices. Remember what we learned in Colossians, the treasury of all wisdom and knowledge resides where? In Jesus Christ, right? And so when we lead and guide and instruct our children, that's where we need to point them, to Jesus Christ. And I have found that one of the best ways to teach your kids is to tell them what you're learning. (laughs) Share with them what God is doing in your life. Let them see that your life is being directed by Christ so that they will grow in an environment where they learn to do the same. Dependence upon Him. So Paul has talked about that relationship in our marriage, that relationship in our family. And then he'll turn to the relationship, I believe, that we can draw an an analogy to of a workplace. Now, he speaks in here about how slaves are to be uh, obey their, their masters. And so let me speak to this issue of slavery in the Bible just briefly. At the time of the New Testament, during the the Roman Empire, there are estimates that uh, there were about 60 million slaves that resided within the Roman Empire. That's about one out of every two people would have have been considered slaves. And, And most of those slaves were in some type of working relationship for somebody because of a debt they owed. And very often it was not just one person, it was a person's family. The other common reason that we see people within this role of slavery is when they were choosing to be in a place where they could earn some kind of income to avoid starvation or poverty. So it was a a choice to be in that role of submission. And we know that as you look at both Roman Roman and Hebrew law, there were some clear instructions of how they were to treat one another and even limits to how long those relationships could exist. Now, it's not altogether the same, but I I look at the employer-employee relationship and see some similarities. I mean, why do you work? Because more than likely, you have a debt to pay, don't you? You've got a house payment. You've got a car payment. You've got school loans to pay off. You need to work to be able to provide for the basic needs, right? And there are regulations within the workplace of how workers should be treated. And we all know from experience that those aren't always followed, are they? And so Paul's giving instruction, and I want us to read it like we would read it as an employer and an employee. So look at verse 22 with me. Where it says, Slaves, or employee, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, but not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When I look at this passage, as he's speaking to workers, people who are employed by somebody, I I see him mainly communicating, do your job with integrity. Because again, he confronts the temptation, as he's done in the other relationships, for us to always look good when the boss is around and then slack off when he's not around. Right? 
I remember in gym class when I was a kid, right, what jumping jacks looked like when the coach was watching and what they looked like when he wasn't watching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or push-ups or something like that. We always perform differently when somebody's eyes were on us. Our effort was dictated by what we wanted people to see rather than a job that was pleasing to the Lord, who, by the way, always sees. Integrity is being the same person both in public and in private. And I think when we have this attitude where we are doing work heartily as unto the Lord, it prevents us from looking at our job as simply a way to make ends meet, where it's just something that we've got to do. It really has no purpose or value in my life. I think that's a mistake. I think when we look at our job as something that we do, regardless of what that job is, as service to the Lord, then our efforts reflect what we want the Lord to see. And that brings value and purpose to whatever we're doing, however menial that job may be. And the other thing that I think that it, it does for us is it protects us from looking for that perfect job. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with young people who are beginning their career, and man, they're looking for that perfect job, which usually is defined by whatever I can do to make the most amount of money with the least amount of work with something I enjoy doing every single day, right? That's the perfect job. And they spend a lot of pressure, put a lot of pressure on themselves to, to find that perfect job. But let me give you something to consider. Instead of looking for the perfect job. What about looking for whatever job provides you as a way that he is perfecting you? Let me say that again. Instead of looking for the perfect job, what about considering whatever job that he provides you as his way of perfecting you? Because we've all been in jobs. where Some of them teach us perseverance. <laughs> Just to be able to hang tough and do the right thing. Some of them teach us how to sharpen our character because, again, that integrity of when people are looking. And some, of us, some of them just teach us how to trust because we may show up every day going, I don't know how I'm going to do this unless the Lord does something miraculous. That happens to be my job, <laughs> right? They teach us. They perfect us. And Paul then closes with a word to the boss. Look at verse 25. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Paul's point here is that God is ultimately in control, and in the end, he will determine what is just and fair. And so if you are in charge of people, know that you first and foremost answer to him and so treat your employees in the same way that you are treated by god seek their highest good as god does for you protect them you have the the ability to to do things that that protect people just as god protects you so should you do with your employees be fair and rule with just and justice and grace and here's one that I think is, is real important because we see this, pra praise God, that we see this in, in God's relationship with us. Care about your employees more as people than performance. Care about your employees more as people than performance. And praise God that he sees us that way, right? 
Give them a reason to serve you well. You will always bring out the best of your employees when you're that kind of a leader in their lives. Give them a picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Well, as we think about our passage this morning, there's plenty of application, isn't there? On all fronts, husbands and wives and and parents and children, employers and employees, I think that probably covers most every one of us. But there is one final observation that I would like to make. As we understand how God's designed these relationships to bring out His highest good, we do need to understand that none of these relationships are designed to meet our deepest needs because they all involve fallible people who are guaranteed to consistently disappoint you. Husbands, at times, will not lead well. Wives, at times, will want to take charge. Children will rebel. Parents will get angry. Workers will cheat. And bosses will be unfair. This instruction is still important because I promise you, when it's employed, it does work 100% of the time. That's not the issue. The problem is that people are not near as consistent in following what is guaranteed to work. We must depend on something other than fallible people to meet our deepest needs. And that's the whole point of Paul's letter to the Colossians as he points them to Jesus as the only one who can bring stability in life when everything else is uncertain. And even as we look at our passage this morning, we examine those most important relationships, the message is clear. We must find fulfillment in God's perfect love before we can be satisfied in a relationship with imperfect people. Let me say that again. We must find fulfillment in God's perfect love before we can find any satisfaction in our relationships with imperfect people. We must choose to follow Christ, to let His peace rule in our hearts, to let His Word richly dwell in our mind and guide our life so that ultimately His name is exalted in all that we do. Because as Paul reminds us in our verse, ultimately, we all serve God. And we should do so with a grateful heart because of the things that he has done on our behalf. Let me close this in prayer and then we'll do our devotional. Father, thank you for our time this morning just to look at um, the very practical application of the truths of what we've read in Colossians so far. To, to take the supremacy of who Christ is in our life and to see how it impacts the details of our daily life and our most important relationships in our marriage, in our family, in our workplace. May we be reminded, as Paul has done this morning, through the inspiration of your Spirit, to ultimately uh, submit ourselves to the authority of Jesus Christ so that we can love those around us in a way that honors Him and brings out the highest good in the relationships that you created um, for our benefit and for your glory. So may we take this to heart, think through it, pray through it, talk through it, so that we are changed by it. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.